It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on WBEN. Now, WBEN's David Bellavia. All right, we uh, have a second hour, same topic. This is how we're going to do Hardline every single week. We'll have one topic for two hours. We're going to have a bunch of guests. We're trying to get as much diverse opinion as we possibly can. Now, we asked County Executive Mark Policars to come on the program. We've asked, uh, we had the mayor of Buffalo come in here last week. We left with a handshake. We spoke like gentlemen. I think it's very unfair just to say that because I am an unapologetic conservative, because I'm opinionated, that somehow I'm going to bash someone or show them disrespect. Mr. Uh, Congressman Higgins said, uh, we'd love to do the program. We can't do it in our schedule. Completely respectable. And uh, Congressman Higgins is always welcome to come on here. And he will leave with the same respect uh, that we asked him to come on the program. Mark Polencar's responded with, I will not, I have no interest in spending time on a program with Bellavia. I thought that's absurd. What are you afraid of? Come here, defend your point of view. You'll be treated with respect. I'm not going to disrespect anyone. Someone who's not afraid is the, uh, are you the president of the UB Democrats? Oh, no, no. Just I'm, in the I'm UB a member. Democrats. I'm a member of the UB Democrats. That is the voice of Andy Kowalchuk. You've heard him on the gun debate. He's a member of the UB Democrats. He's going to school at UB. He's extremely, uh, I think, extremely well-spoken. He's intelligent. He's respectful. We disagree on probably everything, but I'm sure he shows more intestinal fortitude than some of our elected officials to come and sit down here. Andy, I want to talk about immigration, the wall. We have two lines. If you're a Democrat left of center, you can call 803-0930. If you're a Republican right of center, 644-9875. Now, Andy, we took a call earlier in the program, uh, and it was a young lady from Buffalo. She made some points. You felt that you could maybe add on to her argument and help her out. Go ahead. So you brought up the metaphor that we should consider if someone was to walk into Walmart and steal something that they should be punished by the law. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. But something you have to take into account is the context that goes into that situation. So if this person is very hungry, needs to feed their children, you're still going to say you shouldn't, it's against the law and you should not steal the bread maybe you take from Walmart. However, I think we should have a responsibility to maybe look at how we can make this individual less hungry so they don't have a desire to steal from Walmart. Okay, so so let's let's take that that issue here, America's responsibility. Right. All right. First and foremost, constitutionally and the way we feel in our hearts, right? Right. There are situations that happen in Haiti that pull at our, our heartstrings. We donate money. We want to go out there help an earthquake. But at no time would anyone make the argument that it would be prudent to take eighty thousand Haitians and bring them into the country. Right. Right. You would make that argument that there's ways to help people in their own land as opposed to saying, well, America, you just come here and everything will be taken care of. Yeah. No, I think there's two different. You can go in a different direction than that. So for me, I think one big thing is that if you look at the Trump administration in particular, Mm -hmm. they tried to pass or they tried to force through an executive order saying that. People who were not coming in at a point of entry and requesting asylum, so they come up to one of the either a border wall or a fence or whatever, and they request asylum, they did not want to be able to give those people even the opportunity to hear their asylum at all and just turn them back immediately. And that's what I think about like the spirit of what we stand for as America. Like we should be able to listen to these people and actually see if we can allow them into our country rather than to just turn them back. 
And okay, yeah. but but if if to be fair though, in the circ- you're talking about the caravan, the three thousand people that were claiming asylum at the caravan, right? Okay. With the way the current international laws work and the way the United States has agreements with Mexico, if you're offered asylum in a third country, the United States doesn't have any obligation to give you asylum. So if if I'm traveling through Guatemala and I'm like, man, what happened to me back there in Colombia was horrible. FARC rebels, they're killing me. And Guatemala's like, here's asylum. I can't say, "Mm, I'm going to wait to see what Mexico says. Right. Right. Well, so Mexico won't take you. If Guatemala gives you an asylum and with this caravan, Mexico gave 3,200 people asylum and safe haven. And these people said, no, we'd rather have the United States. So point that brought that was brought up earlier was that the journey often coming to coming to the United States is a very dangerous one. And that often involves going through Mexico and like living in Mexico is far more dangerous than living in the United States. And I'm not saying that every person who seeks asylum necessarily has to be granted it, but I do think that we should listen to their application and see how many we could take in at a reasonable figure. Okay, so let's let's look at the difference between 1900 immigration and 2019 immigration, yeah. okay? I would make the argument that the immigrant wants the exact same thing in 1900 that they want in 2019. Yeah, right? I agree with that. Okay. But I believe America has changed. Um, I would say in a lot of ways. I think the way we're looking – I think what, – what would you say is the, the immig- immigrants' uh, biggest motivation for coming to the United States? Uh, I would say it's to have a better life. I would say, yeah, and it's the ability to work, it's the ability to have a job, support right. your family. So, I mean – So, but, but let, right. let's look at this one thing, though. If, we, if yeah. we take that into pieces. Okay. 80% of the economy of the United States – in 1900 was mining, agriculture, what we call primary industries, right? Right. That is now 2%. Hmm. So right now, if you're a high school diploma holder and you have a family of four, you are paying, you are getting $40,000 from the government more than you're paying taxes. That's not just, we're not talking welfare. We're saying tax breaks across the board. They're getting 40000 more from the government than they're paying in. That's a high school diploma with a family of four. If you go and take a bunch of unskilled or uneducated folks and you put them into the economy, you are, you know, the, for, for the cost of tomatoes to not be $20 a tomato, you're going to need someone to pick those tomatoes, right? Right. But if you hire people that are, you know, not skilled that want to do this job at a lower wage, you're 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 seeing that when when illegal immigration comes through or immigration, uh, you you increase the amount of people that come to the United States. You don't have businesses that invent that invest in technology, in abilities to make things low cost. So as as I agree with you that the people have the best of intention of wanting to leave where they're at. But unfortunately, I think the United States has changed. I'll give you another example, assimilation, right? If you came here from Italy in 1920, you were not talking to the homeland every single day. So you had to learn English and be a part of America, where today you can call your family, you can get on the Internet. So, so how do we, Andy, in your opinion, how do we evolve with the way the United States has changed with our immigration policy? So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. So, for one, I think we can both probably agree that in a lot of measures that we agree on, the economy is doing fairly well. 
So unemployment is that we're pretty much near full employment, yet corporations and many companies are still looking for people to fill the jobs. So in terms of people that are looking for like work in general, there are still jobs out there to be had. So I'm not completely against the idea of more people coming in the U.S. to work, especially when we have the openings. So, and the idea that they're driving down wages, which is one I hear a lot, I think it is probably a reality because these people are willing to work for much less because they've come from pretty terrible circumstances. But I don't think the blame should be laid on these people. I think we should look at the corporations who do it and- Who say, are hiring illegals. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think we should look at it and say, what you're doing here is unethical and take some measure to stop that, how we're doing it, and maybe encourage legal immigration, that kind of thing. I think that's a better way than maybe building a wall that might be a more effective policy than building a wall. All right. Andy Kowalchuk joins us from the UB Dems. And uh, we're going to talk more about immigration all the way until the top of the, I should say, all the way to, to uh, noon. We'll take your phone calls. On the Democratic side, it's 803-0930. On the Republican side, it's 644-9875. We're going to talk more about this, the wall, so much more. Andy uh, Kowalchuk joins us. Thank you. Hardline, back after this. Welcome back. To Hardline, we've got joining us in studio from the UB Democrats, Andy Kowalchuk. You've heard him before on WBM. We talked about guns. Uh, it's always great to get as much diversity as we possibly can. I am sickened by the fact that because I see the world a certain way that somehow I'm close to hearing the other side. I want you to be able to express yourself, have a debate and I think it shows uh, incredible intestinal fortitude, Andy, for you to come in here. And, and you're, you're worthy of it. You're smart, and you can defend your point of view. So, the wall. Why is Andy Kowalchuk against the wall? So I think from a policy standpoint, if you look at what the wall tries to address, I think the two biggest points brought up by Trump in his address were that, A, it will stop a lot of the drugs coming over the border, and B, that the violent crime that happens in the United States by illegal immigrants would be stopped probably by this wall. So I kind of disagree with both points that the the wall is the most effective way to deal with these problems. I think we can still say that there is a problem, but I don't know if the wall is necessarily the policy that we would use to fight it. And I'm pretty sure that having a government government shutdown over this hurts national security more than it helps it. Okay. The you so you're we're we're now saying that you're the the ability for the government to do the basic things that they could do without a wall is actually more handicapped now because of the shutdown. Right. So for one, if you look at TSA workers who are not getting paid right now, many are calling in sick uh, after their first paycheck went by. So there was a stat provided by the Trump administration saying that at the at any border, there are 4,000 terrorists uh, stopped. Mm. And most of those come at airports. And if we have less funding or almost we have no funding for TSA workers, aren't we making our airports, our points of entry less safe right now? And isn't that kind of counterproductive to the national safety that Trump's trying to secure? Well, as far as the terrorists at airports, understand that when if you're flying into the United States... Uh, you, uh, if you're not getting popped on a no-fly list in another country, you certainly are boarding a plane mm-hmm. in, in England to land in New York. There's not a threat for a plane to blow up uh, in the United States. So what I'm saying is that a terrorist isn't going to Chicago O'Hare to get on a plane 
and getting popped on a no-fly list. TSA is really doing the physical security of all of us going onto planes. Not saying that that isn't a threat and that is we're not more susceptible. We are. I, I agree with that point. But here's the thing that I, I think is a disconnect. There's a lot of stats that are put out by people on your side that are really disingenuous. And I'm going to give you the, the, vol, the violent nature of illegal immigrants, right? So, first of all, we don't have any idea how many illegal immigrants are in the United States. But when we're taking a broad section and we're saying, you know, the average population is actually more susceptible of being arrested for violent crime than illegal immigrants, that is a very true number because we're talking about illegal immigrants in Maine that overstayed their visa. We're talking about illegal immigrants in Montana that overstayed their visa. But if you go to southern Arizona... If you go to El Paso, Texas, if you go to areas on the California border, you will find that illegal immigrants are over two and a half times more likely to commit a violent crime in those regions. So if we're going to take the entire pool of illegal immigrants, I think we have to be fair about talking exactly what we're talking about. Illegal immigrants that came through the southern border, not all illegal immigrants in the United States, because as we said, there are two categories. The other thing is, is this points of entry thing. You know, El Chapo is on trial now in New York, and we're getting a lot of information on how the drug traffickers uh, are bringing drugs in. And until like the mid-90s, there was a tunnel system that was dug all the way, you know, under Arizona and, and everything else. And now they're saying, well, now we just throw it on semi-trucks. We throw it through points of entry. We heard Poland cars. Somehow China got involved with how the fentanyl gets into the United States, which defies almost every government agency. But, Andy, one of the things I believe a wall will help do is flex your your force and to put more eyes, ears, dogs in the areas that are, you know, the legal ports of entry. So you don't have to worry about, you know, this open wasteland and you can now focus on the areas that you want to put more ICE agents and other folks on there for Border Patrol. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of putting more people at legal points of entry. I think it's actually the idea that we should pursue because I think that a lot of the perception why many people come over the border illegally is because they don't have any trust in the process to get through legally and part of it's warranted. So I think if we were to take some of the money that we want to spend or Donald Trump wants to spend on the wall and put it towards border security, put it towards more uh, immigration judges, more officers, more people working with people at the border and also uh, taking away the dangerous people, I think that's a good policy to pursue rather than put it in a, a border wall. But see, what I'm saying, though, is that if you pay, if you spend the five point seven billion right. on a border wall, you now have less folks that have to watch that open area, which now can be flexed down to the points of entry. So you, you, if you only have, let's say, uh, 40 people per shift to you know go through a main point of entry uh, on the southern border, you could get technically 80 people on that shift because you don't have 40 folks that are doing patrols on open areas. So in a way, a little bit of a wall. The $5.7 billion, you're fundamentally against it because why? How, how would you boil down your Andy Kowalchuk point of view as to why you are against uh, the $5.7 billion? Not the 3,000-mile wall. We're talking about the current one that Trump is proposing. Well, I guess the 5.7 that we're talking about right now, it's being justified as a, a state of emergency. And if we look at the money we're trying to get for this, using that $5.7 billion, it won't be used for months so we like the U.S. themselves don't own a lot of the land on the border between Mexico and the U.S. 
And many of the landowners that have that land are not going to want to give it up. It's part of like the, the Constitution, Fifth Amendment, I believe. Eminent that, domain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and it's going to go to the courts. And it's going to take a while to, to get actually part of this wall built. So if there really is, in the, the eyes of Trump's, Trump and many Republicans, uh, an emergency, I don't think the wall is the best policy if you want to solve that. Well, I think you're right when it comes to the 3,000-mile wall. If we were going to build a wall all across the southern border, that is going to be a constitutional crisis. Absolutely. The 5.7, they've already allocated it towards areas that they feel comfortable enough uh, that they can make a, a land deal with the private owners that are there. There's some public land. There's some state land as well. Uh, so, But as far as the the national security, you don't believe that you know those that the situation at the border right now is serious or you don't believe it's serious enough to be looked at as a national security oh i don't believe it's serious enough to be looked at as a national emergency and i definitely think that the precedent that it would uh, involve in terms of allowing a president to declare a national emergency whenever he wants is kind of it's going to be bad for the country if we look at our democracy in general so i'm definitely against the idea of it being a national emergency and i think if you look at the statistics the problems we're talking about in terms of the drugs, the, a wall won't immediately solve our drug problems. The demand will still be there for this heroin. It will still be there. They're, they're, the cartels will have to do something different, and perhaps less drugs will get into America, but I'm not sure that it solves our problems. So if I was to tell you that, uh, you know, when, when we look at national emergencies that were declared under Obama, there was like 14 of them, uh, we still have national emergencies that Clinton declared. That, that are still national emergencies mm. that we looked at. Um, you know, a pro the prohibition of transactions with terrorists who threatened to disrupt the Middle East peace process. In 1995, that was a national emergency by Bill Clinton. We still have that as a national emergency. We could look back and say, well, you know, there's better money to be sp- spent everywhere else. But you and I know, Andy, that we could go through that federal budget with, you know, a chainsaw and cut off $5.7 billion, that's not a surgical, it's not the matter of someone's not going to get food stamps for $5.7 billion. We're talking about, you know, the National Institute of Health is spending $60 million on hamster fights. I mean, you know what I mean? There's so much ridiculous spending. Certainly, we could free up $5.7 billion just to get the 800,000 federal workers back. No, I'm not. I'm not one of those people that says like Republicans have to find a way to pay for this 5.7 right. billion because I think like, but I do believe that we can look at that 5.7 and from my perspective, there's a better way to spend it on programs, on solutions that may be different than yours. And I think definitely towards getting the government back, I don't think a president should be able to hold the government hostage in terms of getting what he wants because he lost the midterms right. and he needs a win. Right. And I, I, I'm. Very, I'm very skeptical that he really, truly cares about border security and really just wants re-election in 2020. That is the voice of Andy Kowalchuk. He is a UB Democrat, and uh, we are going to talk more with Andy. We're going to take your phone calls. We've got it broken down to two sides. If you're a Dem, 803-0930. If you're a Republican, 644-9875. We're going to take your calls after Alan Harris with the news right after this. we got Andy Kowalchuk in studio. He's from the UB Democrats. And uh, you've heard him on this station before. When he was in high school, he talked about the gun debate, and he's still active, uh, sharing his uh, thoughts. I think he's fantastic. I want more young people out there uh, t- telling us what they think, what they believe. And so far, Andy, how you doing? 
You feeling uh, I'm good? I'm enjoying it a lot. All right. No, yeah. no one, no one has any weapons. We're not holding you against your will. Blink three times if you want to be saved. Andy, let's take some phone calls. What do you think about that? Sounds good. All right, let's go to uh, Ward in Forestville on the Republican line. You're on with uh, Andy Kowalczyk. Go ahead. Hey, Ward. June. Cleaver. Ward, you there? All right, we lost Ward. We'll take another call on 644-9875. That's the Republican line. Let's go to John in Rochester. John, you're on with Andy Kowalczyk. Go ahead, sir. Hey, uh, Andy. Hey, Dave. Yeah, I'm up. Uh, this is Beaver calling, by the way. You get more than- <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. Well done, John. <laughs> anyway, uh, listen, uh, I, I have to agree. I, I like the idea of this government shutdown because... Uh, Federal employees make, on an average, 132,000 a year in wages and benefits, and I think it's a it's a time for Trump to maybe uh, start isolating the non-essential people and force them into the private sector. The private sector is very good right now as far as employment goes, but you know the shutdown is being blamed on Trump. I just heard a poll today by the Washington Post. Uh, uh, six, I don't know. I think 60 percent of the people in the country blame Trump for the shutdown. Only 20. 29% blame Schumer and Pelosi. And part of that's media bias. I mean, it's being infiltrated or overexposed by the left in the media. But Pelosi and Schumer are at fault here, too, in my opinion, as at least 50% at fault here on this shutdown. And the other thing, as far as the border wall goes, we've We've had, just in the Rochester in the last number of years, we've had five deaths that were committed by uh, uh, killings, uh, manslaughter, by illegal immigrants. Just in the Rochester area alone, I'm sure I, I missed a lot, but, but uh, you multiply that. Texas statistics, uh, the attorney general in Texas, the governor of Texas, issued some statistics in Texas. 190,000 illegal immigrants have committed over 600,000 crimes against citizens in Texas alone in the last... It's a totally... Right. That statistic is totally, uh, you know, it changes when you get closer to the border. I, I agree. John, I appreciate you calling Rochester. Andy, what is your response to... I mean, in a way... I'll answer this for you because Trump said, blame me. So 62% of the, whatever the population, he said, I'm shutting the government down, blame me. So there, that, there goes that. But as far as, you know, uh, the idea that you're entering a country, you're a polite man, okay? You're not going to be someone that's going to go out of his way to offend. You're not going to be someone that's going to go out of their way to be rude or break the law, right? You're a good kid. You're trying to do the right thing. When you're entering a country, if you're going on vacation somewhere, and the first thing you do is commit a felony, it's not exactly, you know, the best way to start a relationship with a host nation. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And people that most likely, I mean, I have to look, you don't have to look at case by case, but on most instances, people that commit a felony and are illegal immigrants should be deported. But, but I'm saying the very aspect of entering the country illegally is such a felony. Yeah. All right. So that's what you're talking about. Well, right. I'm just saying, like the f- the first response right. is like you know at, at Ellis Island, if you were there and if you know you lied about who you were, you were back on a boat wherever that boat came from. 
Yeah, so I think this goes back to something we talked about when I first got on. So the idea that we can look and say something isn't right to do while still acknowledging that this that there are other circumstances going on. So I think we can still say that, yes, what crossing illegally is bad and you most likely should be deported for it. But also you have to take into account that our immigration system, our legal immigration system is not working very well at the moment. We have people who make asylum requests and sit for multiple weeks at a time not being able to hear anything. And I think we, if we focus more resources on allowing people in at a better rate, then I think that's a problem that could be solved and we have less people crossing illegally. But don't you think, though, that the legal uh, asylum seekers would actually have a quicker process if there weren't so many illegal people coming in every day? Um, I don't think so, because I think people specialize in different things. I don't think you can just move over someone who's stopping illegal crossers and make them an immigration judge. I think it's like it's not you're not able to make that smooth transition, I don't think. Well, see, what I'm saying is that you're, you're looking at about 75 percent of illegal cross illegal crossings that are claiming asylum mm-hmm. and they're all bogus claims. Right. Because they've already been offered. If, if you're part of a caravan or you've been offered asylum in three other countries, by the definition of the law, the arrangement we have with other countries, we're not going to take you because you've already been offered refuge somewhere else. Right. So if you're coming to the border and saying, I can't go back home, they're going to murder me. And they're like, well, where's your home? What's your name? What have you done? And you can't provide any of that information. You are artificially styming up the entire process. And we might have a legitimate Syrian refugee who's, you know, maybe a, a person from Saudi Arabia who's a homosexual who, by the nature of, of who they are, they're going to be murdered for their lifestyle. That's what asylum was set up to be. Not someone who's like, it's hard to get a job in this economy in, in Honduras. Yeah, I'll certainly see to you that there are people who will claim that. I don't believe that all 75% or all people that cross illegally have that mentality exactly. I think people are very disillusioned with the process of actually getting in and just want to get in any way they can, even if it's illegal. And I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but I think we do have to look at the context surrounding it. Fair enough, Andy Kowalczyk. Let's go to the Democratic line. Frank in Niagara Falls, you're on the Dem line, and you're on with Andy Kowalczyk from UB Democrats. Go ahead. You know, I thought I heard somebody say the border wall would replace thousands of U.S. jobs. <laughs> you know, I, I can, I, I think I can speak for most of the progressive persuasion. Yeah, I have a huge problem with Trump and conservatives demonizing our indigenous brothers and sisters from south of the border for political gain. You know, I lived in the southwest in California for over the decade, and I can think of hundreds of wonderful things our indigenous brothers and sisters contributed to American society. But, you know, when thinking of the Trump-Pence administration and the GOP, all I see is, you know, like money-loving, hate-fear-mongering, lies, offshoring, creation pollution, and, and, and Roger Stone's wall. So, so Frank, if, if you boil down to this, if, if Donald Trump was not elected president, if Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton were elected president, do you think that a lot of people that think the way you think would automatically be a little bit more open to border security? It's the messenger of Donald Trump that you're so against? Well, you know, what with 300 million guns in the U.S., military, militarized police, Trillion-dollar defense budget. Right. I've got to ask, what the heck are Republicans afraid of? 
Right. But but again, my, my question to you, though, is that is there any middle is there any negotiation with the way you see border security outside of the fact that you find the president to be repugnant and the Republican Party to be completely against the way you see the world? Do you find any necessity to to check who's coming through this this border? It doesn't matter who the president is. I find it highly suspicious when a migrant caravan becomes a national threat just before an election. You know, and anyways, Trump had, he could have secured the funding for his wall in the two years the Republicans controlled three branches of government. Right, but, but again, though, is, would, there be, but would there be any you know, wiggle room with your point of view if, there, if, it, if it was Barack Obama still president? No, because I, I, I think it's not the illegal immigrants making Mexico-U.S. border dangerous. It's the war on drugs and wealth inequality creating a supply and demand hell on earth. All right. Frank, gave you your point of view. Appreciate your participation. Thank you. If you are a left-of-center guy, you can call in 803-0930-STAR-930, 1-800-616-WBN, 644-9875 if you're a Republican. Um, and we are going to go to break. Andy Kowalchuk joins us. Hey, I called uh, Mr. McManus uh, uh, Alan Harris, and I apologize. I, I didn't understand the switch at our newsroom, so apologies there. We are on Hardline. Andy Kowalczyk will join us. We'll take your calls after this break. And, Andy, I'll let you respond to what you just heard Frank say in Niagara Falls. Right after this quick break, it's Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. All day we've been talking about one issue. That's what we're going to do week to week. We're going to talk about one issue for two hours. We're going to have guests in studio. Hopefully those guests disagree with me. And hopefully we can find, if we don't find common ground, at least we can find common respect with each other. Uh, One uh, gentleman who's joined us is Andy Kowalczyk. He is from the UB Dems, and uh, we heard a call uh, before we went to break, Andy, from a guy, Frank, in Niagara Falls. Obviously, left the center. He called in on the Democratic line. What was your takeaway from that? That button right there. Yeah, there we go. Thanks. So I think basically there is some room to compromise on the issue. So I think it's pretty valuable to look at what things, like as a Democrat, we could gain from maybe negotiating with Trump. So I think one thing might be if we could find a permanent solution to DACA and see if we can find a way that the, the children of the illegal immigrants that live here, like a permanent solution for them, I would happily trade that for 5.7. Yeah, I would happily – because I think it's improving lives, and I don't think that the border wall is hurting so many lives. I think there's more effective ways to do it. Well, that's on the table right now. It, it's on the table. It's I on think, the table. Then then I Pelosi think, and Schumer said, nope, no wall no matter what. But I would you be, got DACA and an increase in uh, food stamps. I would be interested in taking that. That's my. That would be maybe where I would disagree with Pelosi and Schumer. Well, I, maybe that's why you should run for political office, I, my friend, <laughs> because uh, you can't be. You listen. You could be passionate. You could have principles. You can have a compass, and you can disagree 180 degrees from any of the platforms. But we are in such a a polarized tribal society right now, where it's you're in a box, and no matter. What, you know, the music you listen to, the food you eat, that's how you vote. I mean, it's insane. Look, we can't find common ground on all of the issues that we turn on. You know, Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity cannot agree on anything. (laughs) They literally put them in a room. They'll knife each other. There's no agreement on any of these uh, on on any of these issues. That's insane to me. Yeah, I mean. That's how you make the money. You gotta. You, there's. You have to have a game in it. If you want to make money off it, it has to be somewhat of a game. 
We're going to start screaming at each other here just for, for ads. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. Andy Kowalchuk joins us. Let's go back to the phones, Andy. Uh, who do you want to take on the Republican line? You pick. Uh, I'll take Bob. Bob in Buffalo. Bob, Andy picked you. Go ahead. You're on hard line. You know, Andy, i glad to hear that at least there's some common sense. Uh, what I was going to say was is, uh, that on January 2nd, the first thing Nancy Pelosi uh, voted on was to uh, – fund $8 billion for abortion in other countries instead of spending that money at home uh, to fix uh, the problems that we have. And I would just say we just had a 30-year-old woman who was pardoned in Tennessee that was trafficked into this country and uh, was told to use her body to pay her debt. And uh, at 16 years of age, she had a pimp and was told uh, uh, to go out and sell herself. She was picked up by a John in which she had murdered him, and that's how she ended up in prison. We do have some very serious problems uh, in this country, and uh, it's funny. And I'll just say two last things. Uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday who told me his nephew died from fentanyl poisoning uh, right here in, in New York. And uh, I have a cousin in California whose son was uh, found shot to death in his own home, and they still have no suspects. But then again, if you're undocumented, you certainly can walk right back across the border. Nobody knows nothing. Bob, I appreciate your call. We're short on time. I want to give Annie a chance to respond to that. What do you think? Um, so there's a lot going on there. Um, I definitely agree that we have to look at it case by case and take into account, like, individuals can do bad things, and those individuals might be undocumented immigrants. But I don't think we should take that and say we shouldn't let anyone into our country. I think we should look into reforming and providing more resources at the border so more people can get in in a fair process, in a more justified process, so we can give more people who truly deserve asylum, we can give that to them. All right, that's Andy uh, Kowalczyk. Let's go to the Dem line. Let's go to Norm in Tonawanda. Norm, you're on hard line. Go ahead, sir. Hi. Yeah, what I want to talk about is the motivation of the Democratic Party in, in opposing this border wall. Um, for years, the Democrats have, have abandoned the white voter. You remember the, 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 the expressions about the people who cling to guns and religion? and the basket of deplorables, uh, they've abandoned that, and they need somebody to replace it. So they're looking to, you know, they're looking to the Hispanic vote. When they look at people coming into the country legally or illegally, they're looking at possible future Democratic voters. That's why, for example, they will not, uh, they will not say anything definitive against sanctuary cities. So, um, that's, you know, I am a Democrat, but that is something I just don't like about what the party is. Norm, I appreciate your call, and thank you for calling to the show. Uh, let's talk about sanctuary cities. Norm brings it up. What is your take on sanctuary cities? So, I mean, I haven't been able to do a ton of research on it, but from, like, a very elementary point of view of it, I look at sanctuary cities, and I see that by allowing them to exist, where it's often exchanged so officers and police in those communities can combat crime like in the illegal communities where many illegal immigrants reside so they can resolve crime and people can talk even though they're illegals themselves and they can talk and actually so there's more an open dialogue between the police and the community which i think is good i have to admit i'm not the most educated i don't have all the statistics so let me let me just put it this way because i mean as far as the 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 basis for sanctuary city meaning that no matter what happens as long as you reside in this zip code and reside in this state now in california or the city 
nobody can deport you. No matter what you do, you will not be turned over to the federal side, even though the code, the U.S. code, most of the state codes all say that if you don't have documentation to be here and you commit the following crimes, you have to be turned over. And what happens is these people get released. And so now, you know, they commit further crimes. And it's hard to tell a family your son was murdered by someone who should have been deported on three other DUI arrests. So the the passion is there because it's a, it's an emotional topic. But as far as, you know, they did this in 1860. Uh, the, the Confederacy basically said, I don't care what the federal government says. In these states, we're going to have slavery. doesn't matter what the Congress, what the Senate, what the president do. So on, on that basis alone, you know, are you are you saying that in in certain circumstances there there could be positive things but do you support a blanketed you know area where where a local magistrate a local village a local town can say we're not going to obey federal law it seems uh, like it's dangerous I, on its surface i don't think i really support any policy that's that black and white i like at all you know, on either side on anything i would say that i think oftentimes i hear rhetoric on the right saying that we should get rid of and sanctuary cities that kind of thing and that's something I'm more of opposed of for the reasons that I stated. But I think if someone commits a crime beyond the crime, the felony of entering the country illegally, it should be looked at and most likely case by case basis, of course, but right. looked at and probably let the federal government do what it does. But again, taking it on a case by case basis. Andy Kowalchuk, outstanding job. Once again, you did an hour. We've heard him before. Young guy, smart guy, hopefully does something in politics. Uh Thank you for coming on, sharing you your point of view. Me. Appreciate I enjoyed that. it a lot. All right, you're a good guy. Andy Kowalchuk, we heard from uh, Matthew Colkin, and we are wrapping up Hardline. See you next week, same time, same station.